Taylor, where uh, where were you on Friday? I was uh, I was safe at home. I was not under any incarceration or anything like that. How about yourself? So you're trying to tell me that you were not in Bigsby, Oklahoma? On no, Friday. I marked myself safe on Chiefs Twitter. Okay, well that's good because our friend Chiefs Holic friend. Okay, let's 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 just run that back. <laughs> a guy that follows us on Twitter, Chiefsaholic, dresses in a wolf suit, robbed a bank on Friday. Allegedly, allegedly, uh, these are just allegations. But uh, boy, uh, wild twenty four hours on Chiefs Twitter. Really uh, wild forty eight, thirty six, seventy two, ninety eight, whatever. A lot of hours of numbers. A lot of hours. A lot of hours in the day. A lot of hours in the week. Yeah, just, uh, spinning through the news. It. It was uh, funny or interesting because it started off as a wellness check. Be you know nobody had heard from him. He normally tweets constantly, and he's at all the games. He's at all the games, and there were no posts during the Texans game, and there were no tweets after it, and so people started to get a little worried. But they didn't know his name. They didn't really know much about him other than the wolf suit and the Chiefs holic stuff. So. People started digging. They started looking around for him. They started trying to figure out if this was a missing persons and the and the kingdom was going to step up and, you know, figure out how to help somebody. And then somebody stumbled upon how he spells his first name, which was Zeviar with an A. And they did a little Googling. They found his last name. They Googled his last name. And then, boom, he's booked. <laughs> he's booked. He, uh, he comes to court tomorrow. We're recording this on a Wednesday night, uh, December 21st, going to court tomorrow in Bixby, Oklahoma on the 22nd. Uh, probably we'll have some formal charges in there. I have been refreshing the Tulsa district court website like a fiend because I'm very interested in, you know, what he gets charged with. It's going to be a lot, I right? Assume it's going to be a lot. And I would assume that in all likelihood, whatever state charges are filed against him will merely be placeholders to keep him in jail until the feds get around getting off their lazy asses to charge him. The feds, listen, I speak as a longtime state court prosecutor. They just, you know, they take their time with things. Sure. You know, maybe like a year and a half from now when the state is ready to take their case to trial, they'll roll in and indict him and, you know, bring him up on federal charges. And they'll be like, eh, can you guys just dismiss your case that you've been working for a year and a half because we're gonna put Ooh. this guy in the, we're gonna put this guy in the pen i you know it is what it is it's a whole thing you know like i've you know those federal prosecutors they've got like 10 cases a year or whatever they're just sitting there you know tying up their neat little cases in a neat little bow down on the streets in state court it's unforgiving it's uh it's a grind but so he held up a teacher's credit union at that yeah. point there was yeah. an instagram yeah. comment that said my sister-in-law was the one that he was shoving the gun into her head and basically said, I'm going to blow your brains out if you don't open the safe faster and, all, and crazy stuff like that. This is all alleged, obviously, but all he got caught we don't want to get sued. six minutes later. They had yeah, a witness that, you know, somebody with, uh, you know, in Bixby with a good phone and signal and all that. And they called the cops and then cops busted him six minutes later. And, uh, you know, the, the old tried and true fuck around and find out graph that we've seen going around lately. Um, Chiefs of certainly did both.
Welcome in to It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom. I'm Austin. Find me on Twitter at RealBirdLawyer. Here with me as always, my co-host Taylor at Taylor underscore Wit. What's going on? I am enjoying the, the sweet life of a free man. The sweet life of a free man, unencumbered <laughs> by choices that have led him to be criminally charged with multiple felonies for robbing a bank. What can we say? We've just made better choices than some people allegedly have made. We're brought to you as always by the Pigskin Podcast Network at pigskinpodnet. Check out our partners, DraftKings, Underdog Fantasy. We've got a great show for you guys this week. It is December 21st. Christmas is right around the corner. We're going to try and keep this, you know, short-ish so you can enjoy your family time. We can enjoy our family time, whatever. We've got news, news, news. We've got a little what is happening because this last week of NFL action was just absolutely berserk. It was preposterous. Yeah. Uh, we will recap the Chiefs' thrilling overtime victory over the Houston Texans, that uh, that playoff contender, that stalwart of the NFL. And then we will preview the upcoming Saturday game against the Seattle Seahawks. But first, the... Start with the injury report, as we typically always do. It is Wednesday, so we don't have Thursday, Friday injury reports, but we're also playing on Saturday. So this does give us a little bit of time. Uh, Noah Gray, Derek Nadi, Lucas Niang, Isaiah Pacheco, Kadarius Toney, Nazi Johnson, and Chris Jones all listed on the injury report, but all full participants in Wednesday practice. Doesn't look like any of those are going to be an issue. Uh, Colin Saunders, Mike Dana, and Dion Bush did not practice with an illness, which is going around the locker room. And Jody Fortson did not practice with an elbow injury. Of all the guys listed on Wednesday's injury report, Fortson is the only one that seems like this may stop him from playing on Saturday. Yeah, he uh, has a subluxed or a dislocated elbow, which sounds like, I mean, Reed actually didn't rule him out for this week, which I would have thought if he recently dislocated his elbow, that that would at least be, you know, a couple days from now, probably not going to play in an NFL game. But Reed said Jody Fortz is a tough kid and we'll see how it goes. But uh, sounds like that will probably keep him out a couple weeks would be my guess. Well, you know, NFL players are built differently than you and me. So it certainly is possible that he could play. I I hope for the sake of our pal Chiefs Holic that Fortson's able to go because he uh, he loves those Jody Fortson anytime touchdown <laughs> he score does. prop bets. He does. And uh, with a two hundred thousand dollar cash bond, mm. you're gonna have to hit a couple of those to uh, mm-hmm. to be able to uh, make it out on bail. So we'll uh, keep our fingers crossed for Jody Fortson. Wide receiver McCole Hardman and tight end Blake Bell both practiced uh, this week. They are not required to be listed on the injury report because they are still both technically on injured reserve. Both players have been designated to return, and it sounds like both of these guys are going to be back this week. Certainly McCole Hardman, it sounds like, is trending towards playing this week. And for as much as we've ragged on McCole Hardman for the entire history of this podcast, <laughs> which we've now been doing for almost three three years, it'll be three uh-huh. years in February, he adds an element to this offense that has been missing since he's been away. I think I've gained a tremendous amount of respect for what McCole Hardman has done on this team, especially this season. So he's played in yes, eight games, year. and he's fourth in the on on the team in twenty yard receptions behind Kelsey MVS and Juju. So, like, I mean, his that production, those those yardage, those big plays, that's definitely those weren't all pop passes that went for twenty either. There was only one of those eight that um, was a short pass that he took long. So, I mean, he does stretch the defense, and no, he's not Tyreek Hill. He's never going to be Tyreek Hill, but. As soon as, you know, it's kind of 
been made apparent that he wasn't going to be that. I do think that this Chiefs offense is going to look better with him out there. It certainly can't look – I mean, he's not going to hurt anything out there, so um, I'm excited to see him come back. Yeah, me too, and I'm excited to see Kadarius Tony. He was his full – he had his first full participation in practice since week 11, which was, what, the week after we acquired him. Mm-hmm. So he is, at least according to the injury report, fully healthy. Having Hardman and Tony at full strength going together in the same offense is something that we have not seen obviously now for over a month. And, you know, when both of those players were healthy, the offense did have a different layer to it. So it'll be exciting to see what he can bring to the table, what he's been able to pick up on the side. I'm always curious, you know, not being inside an NFL locker room to see, you know, what a player is able to get from mental reps from going through the playbook without actually being able to, get on the field and practice. Obviously he had to learn the playbook. It'll be interesting to see how much of that he's been able to pick up despite not being able to get on the practice field and ultimately into games and see whether he's been able to get, you know, maybe he like Russell Wilson has a beautiful mind where he's able to do all these mental reps and he'll come out and he'll be wide receiver one on Saturday. You know, we did hear a lot about how sharp he is and about how quick he picks stuff up. I mean, that was something that was said by both the giants on his way out and the chiefs on his way in and something that, you know, you would think, with now being able to sit back and and digest all this stuff in midseason, if you were going to come on to the Chiefs in week 10 and make an impact, you know, it probably was going to take a couple of weeks, even if he was out there. So just being able to for him to absorb all of that um, is can't can't be bad for him. And I think the Jags game would have been then the only game that Hardman and Tony were both healthy and i don't actually even remember if hardman was healthy for that jags game i think they haven't been on the field at the same time uh, hardman got hurt in the 49ers game so, so i don't, I don't they haven't what. been on the field at the same right. time yeah so right. that's definitely something that now that that twitchiness is out there potentially for both of those guys plus juju and mvs and kelsey i mean sky's the limit let's go in other news tommy townsend named afsb's special teams player of the week this is the third weekly award for Tommy Townsend, who's in his third season. He got the uh, weekly awards in week 15 of the 2020 season and week nine of 2021. One of those was for his uh, his awesome fake punt yes. completion. Uh, but this was just for his punting ability. He boomed a couple of punts inside the 20. Two special teams player of the month awards in November 21 and September 2022 when he was bombing punts back in the beginning of this season. We'll talk more about Tommy here in a minute. Final piece of news, the Pro Bowlers were announced today and I'm just going to I'm just going to read these off. Um we'll talk about one of these. Mm-hmm. Uh Travis Kelsey was nominated to his 8th Pro Bowl, quarterback Patrick Mahomes to his 5th Pro Bowl and again this is his 5th season as a starter. Pretty good. Uh defensive tackle Chris Jones, his 4th left guard Joe Tooney, his first Pro Bowl nomination, which is a little bit surprising because mm-hmm. he's obviously been a high a high level player, one of the best guards in the league for quite some time. Creed Humphrey, a long overdue in his second season. <laughs> yeah. First Pro Bowl nomination. Tommy Townsend, the aforementioned, making it as the AFC's punter Pro Bowl nominee. And Orlando Brown Jr., the Chiefs left tackle, who currently leads the league in pressures allowed by a tackle, uh, according to Pro Football Focus, received his fourth Pro Bowl nomination. Now, I'm going to tee you up for this as follows. There is a fan vote component to the mm-hmm. Pro Bowl. Uh, Tua Tonga-Vailoa, for example, received the most fan votes at quarterback for the AFC For Pro any Bowl. player. For any player. Tua non is real, mm-hmm. and they are coming for you. 
they tried to vote him in, but this fake news election was stolen by the establishment who gets a two-thirds say. So even though 201, the fan vote, that's only one-third of the vote, the two-thirds majority of the establishment overruled Tua didn't make it in the Pro Bowl. The players and the coaches both said nah. Can you imagine being Tua and the fans? You know publicly that the fans were the number – they voted you number one, and then you find out that both the players and the coaches said – Nah, not today. You know, it's a tough scene when uh, one third of the country fervently believes something, oh. and then they oh. believe that they are the majority of the country and they speak for everyone. I'm Boom. just saying. Uh, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon that uh, I'm sure we've only ever seen with Tua Tonga Vailoa's fan voting. Uh, regarding Orlando Brown, here's what I'm trying to figure out. We know the fans didn't vote for him because Chiefs fans more or less universally believe that Orlando Brown Jr. is garbage. I wonder why. The other two-thirds are the coaches and the players. And I, the players will do goofy stuff. The players yeah. are going to do what the players are going to do. Yeah. And, you know, he's been on a couple of teams. I'm sure he was well-liked on the Ravens. I'm sure he's popular on the Chiefs. He seems we know like he a is. tough guy. Mm -hmm. He's got an NFL pedigree. His dad played in the league. Maybe that's it with the coaching staff, too. But, like, the coaches have to be watching the same tape as everybody else. Are they just like, are the coaches voting him in so that he has up. the Pro Bowl on there? So they're gassing him up for free agencies. They think the Chiefs are maybe going to have to pay him more money. What is happening? I, like, I what is going on? I think it would be really funny, yes, if the coaches were like, A, when we bust this guy every week when we blitz right around it, <laughs> we're just going to say, well, we just got a bunch of pressure against, you know, Pro Bowl or left tackle Orlando Brown. And then also, yes, they probably know that if the Chiefs are going to try and negotiate with Brown for a long-term deal, that this does add dollars to that contract. There's no way around it. I mean, four Pro Bowls looks better than three on the negotiations. So I think those aspects would be really funny. Um, I also think that, you know, the players, like you said, yeah, they do dumb stuff. They also don't really, I feel like, pay attention to a lot of like the in-depth numbers yep. and the, you yep. know, the standings and, and things that we pay attention to. They probably all think about the times that they've had fun times with Orlando and joked around with him as they're, you know, screaming around the edge and he's not pr protecting his quarterback. But uh, yeah, it's, it's weird. It's bizarre. He is not worthy of Pro Bowl nomination. He's probably, you know, the 10th, 11th, 12th left tackle in the AFC. And right. they've got him number three here. They did have two tackles ahead of him. Oh, but those are just tackles. So sure. yeah, right. yeah, it doesn't really it doesn't really add up. It does not add up. And uh, you uh, mentioned you know uh, way around paying him. I mean, the Chiefs could just not negotiate with him and not pay him, and then they won't have to pay him more money if they just Worked say this year. We're not going to pay you at all. Uh, they could also franchise tag him again, which would not affect, um, obviously, the number of Pro Bowls does not factor into how much you get paid on the franchise tag. Nope. They may have to do that because they don't really have anybody else. But that's a problem for another time. Let's talk about what is happening. We're going to do this every week now until the end of the year. We're going to keep tabs on the Chiefs' two competitors for the number one seed in the AFC, which really comes down to two teams. The Buffalo Bills, who, like the Chiefs, are 11-3 and three and own the head-to-head -head tiebreaker because they beat the Chiefs head-to-head. -head. And the Cincinnati Bengals, who are 10-4, and four, one game behind the Chiefs, but also own the head-to-head -head tiebreaker over the Chiefs because the Chiefs lost to both of these teams. That's two of the Chiefs' three losses. The other one was to the Indianapolis Colts, who we'll talk about in a second for different reasons. 
So the Buffalo Bills are traveling to Chicago this week to play the Chicago Bears at Soldier Field on Saturday afternoon. It's going to be a windy game. They just played in a little bit of a weather game. This is a tough Bills team that's built to play in the elements, right? So they should be able to handle a Chicago Bears team that, while they've been eliminated from playoff contention and are awful, went toe-to-toe with the 13-1 and Philadelphia Eagles last week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Um you know, fields can run around and run around and make plays, as Pat always Fly says. And make plays, that's right. right. And uh, the Bills, you know, Josh Allen popped up on the injury report this week. He's popped since back off the injury report as a full participant. But, um, you know, I do feel like they're a team that is capable of laying an egg. They laid an egg in Jacksonville last year. They are... I, I don't really see the consistency in them this year that I was worried that I would see, you know, early on, I really thought the bills were the most complete team in the NFL, that they were the least likely to lose and all this stuff. And, and while they've won their games, uh, it hasn't really always been in convincing fashion. They've, they've kind of hung around with some teams uh, lately, you know, Cleveland, Miami, all those games. So I think the bears are going to keep this a game. It's an eight and a half point Buffalo bills uh, line and I would expect the Bears to cover that. The Bengals, meanwhile, are traveling to New England to play the Patriots, who blew a game in the most embarrassing, hilarious fashion that I've seen since the Patriots blew a game in Miami <laughs> a couple of years ago to give the Chiefs the number one seed in the year that they went on to win the Super Bowl. I don't know what to expect from this game because the Patriots are a dumb team right now and yeah. and also a not good team right now. But wouldn't it be nice if Bill mm-hmm. Belichick could pull out a vintage Bill Belichick performance and solid. just show Steve Spagnuolo what he's supposed to do to stop Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati <laughs> offense, right? Like if he could just like give us the blueprint, right? Yeah. Like just just show us what to do, right? Like <laughs> show us how to beat the Bengals. You know, in a week of a bunch of cold outdoor games this, you know, this week, the Patriots game is actually projected to be right at 32 degrees. So it's not going to be the coldest game on the schedule. But yeah, exactly. Especially for Foxborough. Um, the Bengals are only a three-point road favorite in Foxborough, which feels like a seven and seven Patriots team against this Bengals team that just came back. Um, on Tom Brady and has been playing awesome. Like I, I feel like that three point line should probably be somewhere around five or six, but um, you know, it would be nice if Bill Belichick could show that the way that his team finished the last game is not indicative of their focus and their, you know, his coaching ability. And and if he could do the chiefs a solid and really, it doesn't really matter if the Bengals, the, as long as the chiefs win out, it doesn't matter what the Bengals do. The chiefs will stay in front of them, but um yeah, could be interesting. Just very quickly, we have to talk about a couple of things that happened this week. I yeah. sort of responded to this in, I don't, I, I don't know, I, it was sort of intended to be a joke, but like the NFL had some games this weekend, including the Chiefs game, that sort of made you think like, huh, it's a weird sport, and I'm not sure 100% if it's real all the time. The first was a game on Saturday where the Minnesota Vikings were down <laughs> 33 to nothing at halftime to the Indianapolis Colts and came back to win the game and should have won the game in regulation, but for a couple of horrible officiating calls that by the way, were officiated completely differently the following day in the chiefs game um, regarding forward progress and plays being blown dead. And Mm -hmm. then the ball being fumbled and not recovered. And 
somehow identical situations were ruled in opposite directions in these games. But we have to talk about it because it's the biggest comeback in NFL history. I yep. mean, Chandler I don't Sullivan know. had two defensive fumble rec- returns for touchdowns, both called both down, down early. It's crazy. Insane. It's absolutely absurd. And there's not really much more to say about it other than, oh my God, it happened. And poor Matt Ryan, because, you mm-hmm. know, he's now part of the biggest regular season and the biggest playoff collapse in NFL history. Biggest Super Bowl collapse, but not biggest playoff collapse. Oh, that's correct. Still belongs yes, to Oilers' Bills. You're correct. Yes, of course. Uh, which was which orchestrated was- by. Uh, Frank Reich, and that Frank was Reich. previously the biggest comeback in NFL history was that Bills-Oilers 93 playoff game. But now this 33-point absolute, Outrageous. you know, when when the Vikings started off, they started off the third quarter with a three and out on offense. And, I mean, it and just, they, they turned the ball over a couple they, of times in the second half. Uh, I think the turnovers were all in the first half, I thought. Oh, I, I mean, Kirk it. Cousins threw an interception in the second half. Oh, he did. Game. He did. He did. Absolutely. The Colts picked him off and, like, ran out of bounds at the two and then ended up screwing up that drive also. But, yes, uh, they the Vikings went punt, touchdown, 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 then that pick and then touchdown. Then they went for it on fourth and 15 at the 45 and didn't get it with 252 right. left. Right. And they were down eight. But then the Colts had fourth and one at the 36. They tried to sneak it with Matt Ryan. He was stuffed for no gain. Titans take or uh, Vikings take over and throw a 64 yard first play touchdown to Dalvin Cook. A little dump off that he takes to the house to tie it and pandemonium i mean it was crazy both teams traded punts to start overtime and people were thought do we call this the biggest comeback in nfl history if they come back to tie it is that you know how would both teams feel if one team blew a 33 point lead to the other but they ended up tying but of course minnesota found a way and got it done outrageous that a team can not score on three possessions in a half yeah and still complete a 33 point comeback in a single half while while turning over the ball on downs punting and throwing an interception on three of the drives in the second half. It's outrageous. They outscored them 36 to three in the second half. Speaking of things that should not be possible, the <laughs> Las Vegas Raiders and the New England Patriots, the Raiders win this game, which at this point only makes the Raiders get a worse draft pick. Yeah. So in this sense, great. Good for the Raiders. Happy for them. Extends Josh but, McDaniels. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, this was a berserk play. Ramonde Stevenson was running a draw on the final play of the game. The game was tied. And for whatever reason, the play was called as a draw. Ramondre got a huge gain. And so he decided in the heat of the moment, supposedly, that he was going to lateral the ball. So he laterals the ball back successfully to Jacoby Myers. And Jacoby Myers just loses his mind (laughs) and decides to lateral the ball again, despite the fact that, again, the score is tied. The play was originally called as a draw to essentially run out the clock and go to overtime. And Jacoby Myers just literally throws the ball up straight to Chandler Jones, who buries Mac Jones in the ground and takes it back for a game-winning touchdown. I mean, this was this was an absurd play. Have, have you seen I, the dots on this play? I have seen the dots. They so are good. Bananas. I just, I mean, I don't know what to say about it other the, than you only, said. Yeah, go ahead. Only the Raiders could have lost the game this way. <laughs> yeah, but in right. fact, they won the game. And the Patriots lost. The Patriots. This was uh, some uh, Tuck Rule, uh, you know, Tuck Rule revenge, maybe. But, you know, you said Jacoby Myers lateraled to Mac Jones. I mean, that's an extremely (laughs) liberal use of the word lateral. He was standing on the sideline, and Mac Jones was on the 50-yard line, like in the middle of the Raiders symbol, and 
Myers just thought, I'm going to throw this ball 25 yards backwards to the middle of the field to the slowest guy on the field. The quarterback, sure. I, I mean, what was Matt Jones going to do with that ball? The, sure. He was going to have to run 55 yards through the whole Raiders defense to score a touchdown. It was it was absurd. He said after the game, who obviously, you know, uh, Jacoby Myers was, was very distraught. Um, you know, he said, I was trying to do too much. I was trying to be the hero. I should have should have gone down the game was tied you know if they're down one even there yes do whatever you can try and make a play we've seen defensive touchdowns scored when the team that's trying to lateral has been down you know countless times in nfl history sure but the damn game was tied and right. you know you just got to know when to hold them and when to fold them and uh ugh, that was a that was a very that was as good of an indication that tom brady's left the building in new england as i've ever seen because there is zero percent chance the Tom Brady, New England Patriots lose a game that way. And I'm not saying because he would have like, you know, been a good leader and told them not to. It's just because that shit doesn't happen to Tom Brady. And well, but, but tell me more. But this was only the second time in NFL history that a walk-off touchdown has been scored on a play where there were multiple laterals. What was the other? The game? only other time that it happened in NFL history was the aforementioned Miami miracle where Rob Gronkowski was on the field on trying defense. to tackle Kenyon Drake yeah. on defense that did not work out for the Patriots. Uh, so, you know, I mean, it happened once in a 22 year career for Tom Brady. Maybe it could have happened again, but probably not. <laughs> really great. Ian Eagle um, touchdown call on that Gronkowski play too. I just, I'm, and obviously that gave the chiefs the buy. It was awesome. And we'll always remember that miracle in Miami. It was the best. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is my go-to when betting on the NFL this holiday season. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook app, place the same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, point totals, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN, place a $5 bet on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TPPN, minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Well, let's recap this blowout win that the Chiefs successfully executed against this horrible, awful, moribund 1-10-1 Houston Texans team that we confidently predicted the Chiefs would blow out on Sunday, that's what happened, right? I was I was driving to Kansas City from Colorado. I had sort of inter intermittent service, um, so I didn't catch all the game. But um, I assume that that's what happened, right? They rolled them. I uh, I said before the game started that anyone who thought this game was worried that this game would be close was a fool, and obviously yeah. correct about that. <laughs> obviously, you were correct, but we didn't account for one thing, and that one thing was Carl Cheffers, the Chiefs' arch nemesis. Uh, between Carl Cheffers and a couple of untimely turnovers, the Chiefs losing the turnover battle again, and just, I mean, awful, terrible, insane penalties. Somehow the Chiefs end up going to overtime against the Texans and prevailing 30 to 24. A win is a win. Let's just get straight into the awards. I don't want to dwell on anything that happened in this game. I haven't even watched the whole game yet. I actually ran a poll on Twitter should I watch this game immediately after we won it? And I did get a couple of yeses for specific players whom we will talk about when we do our five-star men. But for the most part, a resounding majority of the responders said, absolutely do not watch this game. I probably will get around to it. I haven't gotten around to it yet. Let's talk about the numbers. 
the figures. Patrick Mahomes, Taylor. Mm-hmm. 4,496 passing yards in 2022. Seems good. It leads the NFL, in fact, so it's the best. Uh, it's 477 more yards than the guy in second place. So quick 477. Math, quick math here. That's like almost 20% more yards uh-huh. than the guy in second place. No, that's not right. 10, 10%. 10%. It's almost 10% more. Thank you for too quick of math. Yeah, no, I mean, any math that I'm doing live on the air <laughs> is too is quick. Too much math. It's too much math. <laughs> 477 more yards than Justin Herbert, who is in second place. Patrick Mahomes has thrown 51 fewer passes than Justin Herbert. Oof. Okay. So 477 more yards, 51 fewer passes. Pretty good. Yeah. He has 599 more yards than Tom Brady, who is in third place. So he's uh 470. He's almost 500 yards clear of Herbert. He's almost 600 yards clear of Brady. Brady's number three. And Pat has thrown 71 fewer passes than Tom Brady. Yeah, and pretty Herbert, origin, pretty Herbert and Brady have both been, you know, dink and dunk kings this year. I mean, the yes. Herbert's 25th in uh, yards per attempt, and Brady's right around him also. I mean, they've both they've they've attempted a lot, and so their uh, numbers are up because they don't run the ball very much on their team. But boy, Pat is just lapping the field here. Speaking of lapping the field, another Patrick Mahomes stat: 36-41 in this game. completion percentage. That is the highest completion percentage ever in an NFL game where the quarterback threw more than 40 passes. So the highest completion percentage ever on 40-plus pass attempts. He completed his final 20 passes in a row, which I believe is five off the NFL record held by uh, Philip Rivers and Ryan Tannehill share it with 25 in a row. That's crazy. I would not have picked those two names out of a hat, but... Five off of the record, and he actually completed 21 passes in a row. One of them got wiped out by a penalty. So if he throws four to start next game and then has an incompletion, we He's can blame Carl Cheffers. That's right. Uh, one of four players, in, or excuse me, one of five players in NFL history to record four or more seasons with 35 or more touchdown passes. So four or more seasons with 35-plus touchdowns. He joins Tom Brady, who has six, Aaron Rodgers, who has six, Drew Brees and Peyton Manning, who have four. So... Patrick Mahomes now has as many seasons with 35 or more touchdown passes as Drew Brees and Peyton Manning had in their entire careers. That seems impossible. Okay. Those two are like the kings of box score stats. Yeah. I mean, Brees and Manning are on top of every quarterback thing of all time. Yes. And they had bad defenses for much of their careers and they had to throw a lot and they were very prolific. And Patrick Mahomes has as many 35 touchdown seasons as both of them. He's played five seasons as a starter. And one of those seasons, the only season he didn't do it, he threw 29. He missed two games. And so two two and a half games. And he won the Super Bowl that year. So pretty good. Uh, Final stat. This is a team stat here. The numbers of figures. AFC West championships. Okay. Two for the Seahawks when they were here. They're no longer the AFC West. Two for the Seahawks. 15 for the Raiders. 15 for the Broncos. 15 for the Chargers. 15 for the Chiefs. Now, I want to give you some context, though, because the Chiefs... What was it seven years ago? It, it was 15 for the Raiders, 15 for the Broncos, 15 for the Chargers, and eight for the Chiefs. The Chiefs <laughs> have now won seven AFC West championships in a row to tie the other three teams, who were all tied seven years ago with 15. Now, 
we talked about this before on the show, and I don't have the exact numbers from seven years ago in front of me. The Chiefs have winning records against all three of these teams in their divisions. Yeah. And they had winning records against all three of these teams before Patrick Mahomes existed. I was yeah. close. Patrick Mahomes has obviously greatly enhanced those numbers uh, and figures. Yeah. But, but the Chiefs had winning records against all three of the teams in the divisions seven years ago, but they had seven fewer titles than all three other teams in the division. Almost impossible to do. Chiefs did it. But fortunately, they've achieved another near impossible task, winning the second most straight division titles in NFL history, tied with the Rams, four off of the record set by the New England Patriots, who won 11 AFC East championships in a row against, you know, the likes of Chad Pennington and Chad Pennington. Ryan Fitzpatrick and Chad Pennington. Chad Pennington and Ryan Fitzpatrick and uh-huh. Tyrod Taylor, whoever. The Chiefs now have almost matched that pace. They're, you know, seven straight, second best in NFL history. They've tied these other three teams in the West by winning seven straight. And next year, when they win the West again, they'll have the most AFC West championships, despite seven years ago being at a seven championship deficit to the other three teams. And they will have doubled the amount of championships in team history from 1969 to 2015, <laughs> when they had eight, the Chiefs are going to double their AFC West championships under Andy Reid from 16 to 23 next year. It's going to be it's stupid. It's stupid. That's outrageous. Well, the Chiefs won this past weekend. It was um, it was not always pretty, but when the Chiefs win, they do so through a system, and it's your system. So I'm going to let you tell us about it. They do. It's obviously the Chiefs system. Uh, create drama, handle adversity, inspire hope, engage physically, finish strong, separate entirely. Now, before I get into this, I just want to give a tip to you fans out there that have been making your own systems, which I wholeheartedly enjoy. You got to do the two word phrases for each one of them. I, I've seen a lot of funny systems out there, but a lot of them use like full sentences for each of the acronyms like that. That's not the sunny way. Each one the dentist system is two word it's phrases. Too much. Too much. You got to You got to just keep it tight. Keep it in like like this one is. So just for the next time, you all do the hilarious systems, which I still love. Keep them coming. But, um, you know, that that's that's my master tip for you. So create drama. Two punts on the first two offensive possessions for the Chiefs. They allow an 11-play, 80-yard touchdown drive to the freaking one-win worst team in the NFL, Davis Mills-led Texans. Chris Moore gets 34 yards on a deep pass on second and 11. Rex Burkhead goes for 17 yards on third and nine. A terrible play on a defensive pass interference, which was legit on Darius Harris. He yanked the hell out of the jersey on third and 10. And then the fourth career catch by rookie tight end Tegan Quitoriano for the touchdown. And the Texans jump out early, create some drama, and lead 7-0 against the team vying for the AFC's number one seat. So that was a terrible way to uh, begin the game. But most of the time in the Chiefs system, the create drama, that's that sets the tone. But then they age handle adversity. And after an Isaiah Pacheco fumble and a Davis Mills touchdown run two plays later to put the Texans up again, 14-7, to the Chiefs got the ball after a Texans punt on their own three-yard line with four minutes and 13 seconds left in the half, in the first half. And the Chiefs proceeded to go on a 13-play, 97-yard touchdown drive. The Chiefs' 30th touchdown drive of 90 or more yards since the start of 2018. No other team in the NFL has more than 18 
90 yard touchdown drives. And so, Chiefs, sorry, say, yeah. say that again. Yes, the Chiefs for scored their 30th 90 yard touchdown oh, drive since the start God. of 2018. Second place on that list is the Washington Commanders with 18. And that's because they've had like 30 more attempts from inside their 10 than the Chiefs have. <laughs> uh, and they're second that. place with, with 18. So, just to put that into some more context with the AFC West, the Broncos and Raiders in that time have eight 90 yard touchdown drives and the Chargers have 11 which means eight plus eight plus 11. The Chiefs have three more 90-yard touchdown drives since 2018 than the rest of the AFC West combined. That Whew. is how you handle adversity. That's how when you're backed up, you need to go punch this thing in the in the mouth, punch the Texans in the mouth. You go do it. You score your touchdown. Then, as if that wasn't good enough to inspire hope, I inspire hope. The Texans, they scored on third and goal from the 12 with a minute 25 left in the third. They took a 21-16 lead. The Chiefs needed some hope. They needed to be inspired. And they went on a nine-play, 84-yard touchdown drive that never saw a third-down conversion attempt. They went eight yards to Juju, 13 to Kelsey, 12 to Juju, 15 to MVS, 13 to McKinnon, and then Pat did his Pat stuff, danced around, couldn't see anybody open, ran five yards for the touchdown run, and he inspired the hell out of uh, me and every other Chiefs fan with uh, the touchdown run. So the Chiefs inspire some hope there. The engage physically, uh, Kelsey was was kind of tangled up with safety Jalen Petrie on a uh, on a pass that he got up. He tried to do his little like first down point, and Petrie was kind of still up in his grill, and he kind of shoved him away. And then, of course, Carl Sheffers, who this will not be the last time we mention his name on this show, mm-hmm. unfortunately, flags Kelsey for unnecessary roughness after the play. It was still a first down, but it it cost him half the distance to the goal back to the eleven yard line. But that was such a that was a turning point for the attitude for the Chiefs. I think that was when they finally realized, like, hey, this team's trying to beat us. Like, I don't know if they thought that the Texans were even going to try to win because they're on track for the one seed and all that stuff. And they might have just thought they were going to waltz into Houston and walk out with a victory. But uh, they really had to uh, kind of wake up. And Kelsey shoving Petrie there was engaging physically. That was my moment there uh finishing strong so the texans in overtime this game yes it did go to overtime after a missed 51 yard attempt by harrison butker at the gun close to the gun they uh then in overtime after the chiefs punted the texans got the ball back and on the very first play of overtime davis mills drops back he scrambles he's on his 15 yard line so they're already backed up and frank clark finds him hits the ball chops it fall the ball falls out and and Willie Gay, bless his heart, goes up to the pile where Dare Ungumbawale had jumped on the ball, but had it kind of like in his crotch a little bit. Like he was kind of crouched on top of the ball, but didn't really have it up in his chest. And Willie just snuck his hands in there, pulled it right out from between Ungumbawale's legs and recovered the fumble for the Chiefs. And that was obviously massive in this game where the Chiefs hadn't created anything on defense Um Got the ball back in one play later, separate and entirely. Can yep. I add yep, yep, yep. very quickly before you separate entirely yeah. that Willie, did you hear Willie here? Do you hear what the refs tried to do on that play? Yes. They tried to give it back to they the tried, Texans. They said that's Blue's ball. But he they got out of the pile. And Willie took the ball and uh-huh. held it up uh-huh. on the for the cameras. Yes. Here it is. I have it. Yeah. Right. You can't take this ball away from me because everybody saw me holding it yep. coming out of the pile, yep. which honestly, I mean, the way that that game was being officiated, that's a little, little suspect. That's very intelligent 
high level thinking to have the presence of mind to not only take the ball, but not rely on, you know, what's going on, you know, at the bottom of the pile where the cameras aren't present to be able to, you know, recover that football. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen, I was thinking about this when it happened. I don't think I've ever seen a guy come out of a pile with the ball and it not be rewarded to that team. Like even if a guy has possession of the ball is down, is touched by other people. If it's the bottom of the pile, like that ball changes possessions. If technically, if this were um, or refereed by a robot that knew the moment someone had possession and was down, a lot of piles I think would have gone different ways. But they're twisting fingers and poking eyes, and they they get in there and they take the ball, and then as soon as someone comes out of an NFL pile with the ball, boom, that's there. So that was great, great heads up play by Willie. And then of course one play later from 26 yards out, <laughs> Jarek McKinnon, my guy. Left guard, 26 yards, walk-off touchdown, the best walk-off touchdown in a, in a Chiefs game since the last Kelsey walk-off touchdown in overtime. Uh, but just an absolute separation there on the next play. So after the Chiefs punt, it was one play for the fumble and one play for the McKinnon touchdown. Um, way to finish strong and separate entirely by the Chiefs. That is the Chiefs system. Whew. That was uh, that was quite a system that the Chiefs employed to pull out this thrilling win on Sunday. Let's talk about our awards. We have our five-star men. We have our trash men. I'm the trash man. I come out, I throw trash all over the, all over the ring, and then I start eating garbage. And then we have our wild cards. Wild card, bitches! Yeah! We start always with our five-star men, and there's two obvious candidates uh i will take one and i will leave the other for you i'll take patrick mahomes uh you know he's a frequent contributor to the five-star man but as we already mentioned uh when you have five incompletions and 36 completions in a game uh with no turnovers and you're essentially playing perfect football that's pretty good that's pretty good it was so good in fact that the nfl sportsbooks immediately made him the heavy favorite now to win MVP. Now, Jalen Hurts was reported to have a sprained shoulder. He might miss a game or two, and that may have factored into the decision as well. But usually this late in the season, Vegas has a pretty good idea of what's going to happen when the actual awards are sent in. I saw a timeline for this, actually. Um, yes. The the sports books posted and actually Jalen hurts at the end of Sunday still was the favorite. And then Schefter tweeted, and then it went massively. There were two five figure bets placed on Mahomes to win the MVP at the MGM uh, sports book <laughs> at, at plus two ten and plus 200 were where the odds were when those were placed, then Schefter tweeted, and then they massively shifted. And now you can get, or you can see Mahomes at somewhere between minus 350 and minus 400 to win the MVP. I think the sprained shoulder also kind of combined with people, you know, realizing like, you know, hurts through two picks and then hurt his shoulder and Mahomes only had five incompletions. And like, I, I do think that the momentum for Mahomes winning the MVP took a giant step forward in this game as it should have. It's always been Mahomes. There's so many numbers. We can talk about it when the season is over. Seth Kaiser, shout out. He had a great piece this week on uh, all the reasons that Mahomes is MVP. And all the reasons he's been MVP. He's been MVP all along, wire to wire. We're talking about Jalen Hurts because he's the only other player that's even remotely in the conversation, right? But, like, it's always been Patrick Mahomes. He's the best. 
five-star man forever and always. <laughs> he is. Uh, so I'm going to go with a guy that, especially over the last two weeks, has really been the spark of the Chiefs offense. And Jarek McKinnon has been as good as you could ask for of a receiving running back that doesn't get, he's not a bell cow. You know, he had 10 attempts this week. He had six rushing attempts last week, but his receptions, he had eight catches this week and seven catches last week for 70 yards this week and 112 last week and four total touchdowns with the walk-off in overtime just has been unbelievable. He's, he's really been uh, everything that the chiefs, hoped Clyde Edwards Hilaire would be when they drafted him in the first round as a receiving back, a guy that you could split out, you could do screens, you could really rely on for big home run plays. He's a home run hitter. I mean, the the one that he took back to the house at Denver when we were at with a no look, a little shovel pass that he took was a home run. That was a play that Clyde Edwards Hilaire doesn't score for a touchdown. And I know it's been a while since we talked about Clyde. He's kind of on the bridge of coming back right now. I sure hope that McKinnon's snaps don't go to Clyde just because Clyde was a first round pick. Um, McKinnon's been awesome. And in this game, he had a total of 122 yards and the two touchdowns just give him everything. I mean, keep him coming back. Uh, you know, he's definitely a, a super, super big contributor. And I'm really excited to see playoff Jarek kind of in the same role that playoff Damian had where, you know, once those playoff games come around, it seems like he's got a nose for the big play in the end zone. Yeah, absolutely. So now we have to turn to the more unpleasant aspect of dishing out awards. These are really demerits. They're not so much awards as they are, again, demerits. These are, you know, these are things that you don't want. They're like Razzies, you know, uh, the uh, yeah. golden, golden raspberries, yes. whatever. These are awards for poor play. And uh, I'm going to leave uh, an obvious one for you, but I'm going to pick Harrison Butker or should I say Tommy Townsend? Because there's been a, there's been a dispute this week between Chiefs current Pro Bowl punter Tommy Townsend and Chiefs former All-Pro punter Dustin Colquitt, who is in retirement. Uh, Harrison Butker missed another extra point in this game. He missed a field goal in this game, which was the 51-yarder that would have won the game in regulation did not make that field goal. And that's usually the range that he's most comfortable with, these longer-range field goals. He's got an unbelievable make percentage on 50-plus-yard field goals relative to the rest of the league in his career. He's always been good at those. And after the game, Dustin Colquitt went to you know the defense of his uh, fellow Catholic uh, superstar, Harrison Butker, and pointed out that it was, in fact, Pro Bowl punter Tommy Townsend who was causing these misses by failing to get the laces in the proper place. So after Dustin Colquitt was tweeting about this situation, uh, Dave Tope was asked about it and said that uh, Dustin Colquitt is a Bucker fan. That's important to note. He's a Bucker fan. You have to understand that. Yeah. But he says that, that Dustin is right about the details, as in he's got a point about the holding. From Tommy, but adds it doesn't go unknown or unseen by us. I don't need to hear from Dustin to make adjustments, just so everybody knows. It's a little bit of salt there. <laughs> I'm throwing them all in as trash men. Harrison Bucker, Tommy Townsend, Dave Tobe, Dustin Colquitt. <laughs> That's this good. whole operation. It I don't stinks know to high heaven. I don't know who's to blame, <laughs> but it stinks to high heaven. We don't need to be no don't need to be airing our dirty laundry. No. If Dave Tobe 
doesn't need to hear from Dustin to make adjustments, make the adjustments, fix the problem, yeah, right? Figure it if out. Dustin Colquitt is incorrect, don't be tweeting and making an ass of yourself. Tommy Townsend, you're a Pro Bowl punter. Let's become a Pro Bowl holder. And Harrison Butker, listen, man, you've got the leg. How hard can it be if you need to make some adjustments, make an adjustment to it, and make a tradition out of it? <laughs> I love it. That is a really, really good nomination for the Trash Men. Um, I'm going to go with a permanent member of the Kansas City Trash Man community. And, of course, oh boy. he's the one, the only Carl Cheffers and his referee crew. Couple, um couple tweets have kind of filtered to the top of the Carl Cheffers versus the Chiefs bias that I just want to share real quick. One sure. is by Preston Farr. He found that 21.9% of the Chiefs' penalties this season have occurred in only 14% of their games, and those games are the two games that were officiated by Carl Cheffers and his group. For two seasons in a row, Kansas City is the second most penalized team by Cheffers and his crew. This year, they're second behind San Francisco, who he's gotten for three games to only Kansas City's two, so of course he's thrown more flags on them. And last year, it was second to New Orleans. So two years in a row, um, also he pointed out that there have only been a couple teams that, or there's only been one team that Sheffers has gotten multiple referee games per year. And that's the chiefs. He got them yeah. twice last year and twice this year. And that's the only one he's gotten most times. So I, the other one, so that one definitely is egregious. And the other one is that in 15 years as a head referee, Carl Jeffers Cruz penalized the Chiefs 143 times, which is the most in the NFL in that time, for a total of 1,240 yards, which is the second most of any team. The average team only gets 86 flags and 740 yards. So the numbers certainly bear out that not only has Sheffers gotten the Chiefs a lot, but he's thrown a bunch of flags against them. I mean, he has really, really ridden this team and – you know, it's one thing to just have raw numbers on number of penalties and num and yards, but the type of penalties with the, you know, third down defensive penalties and the bullshit passer or roughing the passer on Chris Jones against the Raiders and just a bunch of different ways that not only has Sheffers thrown a lot of his crews have thrown a lot of flags against the Chiefs, but they've done it in massive moments. And he's just, I, you know, I, I, I saw some pushback on Twitter about, you know, it's not just him out there, it's other referees and, and all this stuff. But like at the end of the day, when you're the ref crew chief and you have a long storied 15 year career with a history of throwing all these flags against the chiefs, and you have moments where you sound like you're going to piss your pants in Arrowhead stadium because you're saying, Oh, I don't know what's going on. And, and the, the big moments, all the things that have just pointed to a anti chiefs bias by Carl Jeffers and, yeah, we, we can't, you can't prove bias really in a court of law. There's no factual evidence of bias for the most part. But when you look at all the numbers of what he's done against the Chiefs, he certainly is a trash man and really is going to forever be a trash man. Uh, I hope he never referees a game in the NFL again, but he'll probably have another 15 or 20 year career because that's how life goes sometimes. But Carl Cheffers, you suck. You always suck. You are the trash man. Yeah. Uh, Carl Cheffers, forever trash man. Fuck you, Carl. Really hope the Chiefs do not see you again this year or ever. So let's turn to our final award. Those are our wild cards. These are people who are capable of anything. And my nominee for the wild card this week 
is going to be Juju Smith-Schuster. Now, while acknowledging that the play in which Juju Smith-Schuster fumbled the football in this game, as determined by Carl Sheffer's refereeing staff, was incorrectly called. Let's just call it what it yeah, is. Yeah, he was down. Yeah. He was, he was down. Forward progress stopped. They essentially went back in and said, yeah, well, the ref blew the whistle, but then after that, the ball came out and there was a clear recovery. So even though the play was dead, we can overturn this and review it because the ball came out and there was a clear recovery. You blew the play dead. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's an absurd ruling. And in fact, as we previously discussed, there were two plays in the Vikings game <laughs> the previous day where the exact same thing happened and there was a the play was blown dead. There was a clear recovery, and those plays were not overturned. And no, fact, and there was nothing you could do about it. There, there they weren't even reviewed. Yeah, sorry, we can't review this. It happened. Deal with it. And then the NFL tweeted out a rule on Sunday that was like, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, doesn't matter if the play's blown dead. I mean, you know, if, if the guy loses possession and there's a clear recovery, that's reviewable, and they can go in and award custody to, to the other team, which is preposterous. But – I, I'm going to feel like I'm, and uh, to be clear, I did not nominate Juju as the trash man. You know, he's a wild card, right? Like mm-hmm. he had another good performance in this game. He was a solid contributor. 10 catches for 88 he's, yards on 10 targets. Yeah, exactly. He's been solid all year. He's one of the chief's best receivers. I mean, he's up to 850 yards in the season. That's, I mean, he's very close to having his, the second best season of his career. His career high is 1426 in yardage. He's not going to touch that. Uh, he got 166 targets in his second year in the yeah. league, but it's, yeah. I mean, he's on pace to have his second, you know, thousand yard receiving season, uh, three touchdowns. He has three fumbles. This was his third fumble. And to be clear again, I'm not saying it was entirely his fault that this rule is a fumble, but it does feel like that's a lot of fumbles for a wide receiver, right? Mm-hmm. It feels it like is, that. It is in fact, a lot of fumbles for a wide receiver. The only other pure wide receiver who has as many fumbles as Juju, who doesn't handle return duties, which is a big fumbling situation, returns and punts, is Debo Samuel, who, in addition to his receiving role, also carries the ball, which obviously, you know, you're in between the tackles. More guys have a chance to get hands on you and knock the ball out. So really, I mean, statistically this year, uh, three fumbles is probably, he's probably the worst fumbler at wide receiver in the NFL this year. And, you know, I mean, again, three fumbles in 14 games isn't an extraordinary number. But when you consider, you know, each of those fumbles have happened really in critical junctures and have cost the Chiefs. I mean, in this case, nearly cost them the game. I mean, this was certainly one of the reasons that this game was close enough that it went to overtime. Yep. The Chiefs ultimately prevailed. That's why he gets my wild card nomination. I Again, this is sort of a way to pile on Carl Cheffer's. Hmm for the call and the NFL officiating for then justifying the call, which is absurd. But uh, Juju gets my wild card. You know, what's crazy. Um, when you said he had three fumbles this year, I looked him up because I remembered the Arizona one that he lost in week one. Right. And he actually fumbled twice in that game and the chiefs yes. recovered one of them. Right. And so that was two of his fumbles. And then this was the third one. So if- I think those are just lost fumbles. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. He has two lost fumbles. He has three fumbles. Okay. The two fumbles in week one where he lost, lost one of them and this one this week. So 
it it's weird because it feels to me when when you said he had the most of any wide receiver, I was like, well, yeah, I can't imagine anyone has more than him because it I mean, feels he's like he's fallen come, a lot. He's but come close to losing the ball. He has. There have been plays more than that three have times. been blown dead that he then lost it afterwards. There have been plays that he fumbled it out of bounds, which is, I guess, maybe not. Or no, that second one in Arizona was a fumble out of bounds. Either way, he uh, is very... I just feel like he does need to tighten that up. He's he's been yeah. A he's a little bit. he's a little carefree. Yeah, I'm gonna go with a guy that's capable of anything because at a, at a point in his young career he was traded for a very exorbitant draft return and given a giant contract and everyone kind of thought he was gonna be awesome and really hasn't been except for when the Chiefs played their most important game arguably in franchise history and then he was big and he's been big lately and that's Frank Clark and. Frank's been kind of quietly one of the best defenders on this team. It's and crazy. It is crazy because, crazy. you know, we jokingly called him Drax because he was invisible um, many <laughs> moons ago on this podcast. And for the most part, it does kind of feel like, you know, based on what the Chiefs paid for him, which is really not how you should evaluate a player, but it's how, as fans, whenever we think about, like, what it costs to get Frank, the fans expect production and like high level, you know, elite production out of a player that you pay a hundred million dollars and trade a first round pick for. But instead what they've gotten is a player that's pretty good, or at least been pretty good this year. And no, he hasn't lived up to that stock, but the forced fumble in this game obviously won the game. I mean, the, the yes. Texans could have very right. easily driven to the 40 and Kaimi Fairbairn could have kicked a 57 yarder in one game. Especially you know? the way that game was being officiated. Yes. Yes. I mean, the way it was being officiated and just the weird way that chiefs lose. Flags may like have been this. flying. You know, it, exactly right. So the fact that Frank, you know, chopped it out of Mills hands and didn't leave it up to the Texans to go win the game. And then, I mean, that was, that was massive. He's been big this year uh, in kind of some quiet spots, but his PFF grade is in the, I think he's a top, what it say like top eight edge defender in the in the league or something. I mean, he's really been been pretty productive. So uh, Frank gets my wild card. He is capable of anything. Sometimes it's not very much, but other times it's uh, it's flashes of what the Chiefs thought they were acquiring when they traded. He's for. trending in the right direction. Playing and, down the stretch. And this will be the first time that he ever plays Seattle this week. Oh, a little bit of a Frank Clark revenge game narrative. Well, let's turn to that game. Week 16, the Chiefs are playing the 7-7 seven and seven Seattle Seahawks at Arrowhead on Saturday. The Chiefs are favored by 10. The over-under in this game is 49.5. It is expected to be cold. I don't know if you've been following the weather developments. <laughs> I, Didn't me? Around here? There's I'm nothing else to talk about. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here in Kansas City. My wife remains in Colorado for the next couple of days. Uh, the temperature at our house in northern Colorado dropped 30 degrees in an hour. Yeah. Um, so it's coming. It's going to be here soon, probably by the time you listen to this podcast. It's going to be very cold on Saturday. Uh, I don't know if you've heard that. Uh, maybe guess you have, what the AccuWeather Real Feel says it's going to be at noon. On Saturday? Yeah. Of five, it says negative twenty-two. Oh my god! It says well, dangerous yeah. cold in the morning. So tailgaters, it starts off at at midnight. It's going to feel thirty-five below, which is like uh, do not be outside. That's like instant frostbite weather, and then it's going to warm up 
at noon to minus 22 and then by 4 p.m. minus 18 before it drops again. So, yeah, cold. Yeah, I actually had a conversation at dinner tonight about this. So I'm going to pass this advice along to our listeners. Don't I go. asked everybody. Well, that would be my <laughs> But I did, I did ask my family at dinner what the coldest conditions they've ever been in were because we were talking about the impending weather. And I actually, five or six years ago, went to Alaska in February. So I, yeah. have, I have exposure to, I think it got down to negative 35. And that was without wind chill while we were there. And I will say that, uh, don't ask me why I was in Alaska in February. Yeah. My sister-in-law was going to school. We went for the start of the Iditarod, which was cool. They got to see the dogs out. Sure. Their little floods. Very fun. The thing is, like, if you know it's going to be colder than it's ever been uh-huh. anywhere in your entire life, uh-huh. you kind of prepare for it. Uh-huh. Like, I mean, I packed. I literally was wearing, like, six layers. Right. You know, I had on four pairs of gloves, mittens, whatever. And I actually was fine. I mean, we were outside a lot. We were outside for lengthy periods of time. It was okay. My advice for those of you that are going to the game, other than don't, uh, would be just make sure that you have very thick insulation for your feet. Because yeah, where do you put your feet? Put them on a piece of cardboard yeah. or something and wear heavy boots and lots of socks. Because if it gets in through your lower body, it will get your entire body and you will freeze probably to death. This- and we don't want anybody. This AccuWeather real feel can't be right. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's I'm I'm looking at it right now, and absolutely preposterously cold. It just it's like Soldier Field showing minus forty one at noon, and uh, minus forty one. Yeah, if you real feel for the like the wind chill. I mean, I mean I, and maybe they do a real feel which is different than wind chill. Maybe there's like a like I know it's actually minus ten, but that probably feels more like minus thirty. I don't know, but either way, it's gonna be cold as balls. And everyone who's out there, please, you know, stay safe and come back with all your digits and all that stuff, because that that seems like a game where someone could get sauced and could take off their shirt and then could die. So don't do that. (laughs) If we were still sponsored by Manscaped, which we're not, I would like make a pitch for their little like nose hair trimmer. Yeah. The thing that the enduring memory that I have of negative 30 is frozen nose hairs. (laughs) Step outside. All your nose hairs freeze. (laughs) Yeah. Any orifice that you expose to <laughs> is going to freeze. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a bad deal. Mm-hmm. So turning to turning to the actual game, uh, DVOA, Seattle is somehow still 11th despite their 7-7 seven and seven record, 12th on offense, 25th on defense, and number one in special teams, which they recently took over this week. The Chiefs, in contrast, first in offense, 24th in defense, 18th in special teams. So these teams are actually superficially very similar. It's just that the... Uh, Seahawks' number one ranking comes on special teams, the least important of the three units. The Chiefs' number one rating comes on offense, which is the most important. But it's still strength on weakness for both teams. Good offense against bad defense in conditions that no person should be outside in, let alone playing a game of professional football in. It's going to be weird. Real weird. Yeah, definitely not the type of game that you know the Chiefs would like a high-powered type of offense you would expect to, to thrive in. But at the same time, Pat could spend this shit in anything. That includes the cold. Um, we'll see And it's how... just going to be cold, right? I mean, yeah, cold yeah, no, and no maybe some wind. Yeah, right, 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 exactly. So we'll see uh, We'll see how they handle. Yeah, it will be really interesting to see. So the general rule is, and this has been studied by those eggheads that uh, you know tweet about fantasy football. Science bitches. That we totally don't listen to. No. Uh, we just follow our gut. No, whatever. Those those people provide useful analysis, and you know they've helped us 
you know, get to where we are competing for a championship in Dynasty. Maybe we'll talk about that next week if we're both there. Otherwise, we're not going to mention it on the podcast. No, not even close. So the general rule is that wind, precipitation, those can affect scoring. Generally speaking, just cold temperature is not going to affect scoring as much as those other conditions. But we obviously have limited data for it being negative 40 or whatever AccuWeather says it's going to feel like <laughs> up there. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, as you may recall, played his first game ever, his first start in the NFL in Denver in a game where the kickoff was, I think, 12. Yeah, good degrees. point. It was super cool. And I don't know what the AccuWeather feels like was for that game. We yeah. probably can't retroactively go back and – but it was very cold. Mm-hmm. And for him playing his first NFL start, now he threw no touchdowns in that game. He did throw an interception in that game. Man. But, like, he, he, made a ton of, he made a ton of plays in that game. He, was, he good. was good. He was much better than the box score would indicate. That was his first NFL start. He's obviously used to playing in the snow. He's played in cold-weather games before. I think he'll be okay. I think at this point he's acclimated to it. We'll just have to see how the Chiefs perform in these conditions. Uh, just turning to the injury report really quickly, some very significant injuries for the Seahawks that are certainly worth mentioning here. Uh, wide receiver Tyler Lockett uh, broke a bone in his hand last week. He is not expected to play, and he's been uh, – I don't know if you ever look at – 538 does a series that they put out a couple of times this year about the best wide receivers in the NFL according to analytics. And they have, I think five categories that they measure. And by these five categories, it includes separation, um, you know, catchability, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Tyler Lockett's the best wide receiver in the NFL this year. Sure. Uh, Tyler Lockett. Which is crazy. Pride of K-State. You obviously, exactly. You obviously would not expect that, but, uh, he was a wide receiver eight in fantasy football. You know, just he's quietly had an amazing year for the Seahawks. And so not having him out there uh, to pair with DK Metcalf and giving the Chiefs the ability to sort of hone in on DK as the primary receiving threat, that's a big deal for the Chiefs. The other thing uh, that's a pretty big deal for the Chiefs is Kenneth Walker, their exciting rookie running back that they took in the second round who has lit the world on fire when he's actually been healthy and in the lineup did not practice with an ankle injury. It looks like he's trending towards not playing in this game either. And I know running backs don't matter, but when he got into the lineup, their running game looked completely different. And he absolutely changed the dynamic of that offense. They were at their best when he was healthy and on the field because he has big play home run ability. You know, he hits the corner. He can take it to the house. Yeah. Powerful guy, fast guy. I mean, just a looks like he's going to be a good running back for a while. Yeah, yeah, as a as a runner, a really really good player. And so those two guys, Kenneth Walker and, and Tyler Lockett, being out in this game, that's a pretty huge blow to the Seattle offense, which again is the strength of their team. Yeah, I mean, and they have with the Kenneth Walker games included, they have the twenty fourth rush DVOA in football. Now that they were terrible without him, they were really good with him, and that balanced out to twenty four. So without him. You know, you would expect this to be one of the least potent rushing attacks that the sure. Chiefs, you know, will face this year. Now, that said, Travis Homer is probably going to go for like 225 and three touchdowns. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a matchup that, you know, in the cold, you want to be able to run the ball. You, you That's just kind of part of the it's easier to get the handoff than it is for a long pass and stuff like that. So I do think that um, that's going to really hurt them. It's basically going to be Geno and. DK out there trying to play a little two on 11 and uh, we'll see if it works. 
Do you have a prediction for this game? I don't do predictions anymore. I, I'm out of it. I'm out of that game. I got back into it briefly that's, after I said I was out. They pulled me back week. in, and I'm not We're doing it anymore. I'm not even saying, you know, that it should be. I don't know what it should be. I don't I don't know. It's the NFL, and if the Chiefs come out with one more point than the Seattle Seahawks, I will be happy, and that's really where I'm at with it. I'm out with it, too. I think the Chiefs win. So, Sunny Chiefs Kingdom. 